Welcome to the second season of Reset the Table. Russia's war in Ukraine affects agricultural markets and threatens food security for millions around the world. The UN Food System Summit is behind us, and COP27 and the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health are upon us. Join us as we examine solutions to food insecurity challenges around the world and right here at home. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Zituni Oldada, Deputy Director of the Office of Climate Change, Biodiversity, and Environment at the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. Zituni is based in Rome, but joins us today at CSIS's studio in Washington. Zituni, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Zituni, I'd like to start by talking about the FAO Strategy on Climate Change, which was published in June of this year. The intro to the strategy notes that the urgency to act on climate change necessitates rapid, deep, and sustained reductions in global greenhouse gas emissions, including from agri-food systems. And the materials around the strategy note that the strategy presents agri-food systems as part of the solution. Can you talk a bit about that? We often hear about how agri-food systems are responsible for about 30% of greenhouse gas emissions, which often puts food systems as the culprit. But tell us how FAO is framing this as food systems as part of the solution. Right. Um, thank you. Exactly as you said, if we take all the agri-food systems in terms of emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, they do contribute about a third of global greenhouse gas emissions. But there also, it, it is also part of the solution in a sense because there is a potential for making reductions and making savings in terms of money for the use of fertilizers, particularly in the current climate where fertilizers are, are very expensive, the use of energy on farms, etc. But particularly on, on the solution, you're right, we've been talking a lot about climate change. It's, it's an important emitter. And we want to turn that around and say, well, actually, agriculture also has a lot to offer to tackle not just the climate crisis, but the biodiversity crisis as well. Why? Because Agriculture has the means to sequester carbon from the atmosphere through the soil and through the plants that would grow as well. So here we have really so many co-benefits by reducing emissions, building resilience to, to the food system, but also to the ecosystems. So when it, there is heavy rains or drought, by having that diversity in production, it does help actually to cope with those crises. So, so these are what we mean by part of the solution. When we bring in the, the power of innovation as well, combined with food production and ensuring nutritious food to, to consumers, here again, we're talking about the solution. So that's why we, we almost forgot about talking about the benefits of agriculture and we just talk about actually the emissions. So it's really sort of a narrow thinking. So for us, the strategy, and this is what we want to do for COP27 as well, mm -hmm. is to promote agriculture as an integral part of the solution to crises such as climate change and biodiversity loss. Thank you. This strategy was approved by 183 countries. What we were just talking about, about uh, the potential of agri-food systems to, to be part of the solution, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through, through food systems. How is this message received by member states? Number one. Number two, is it received differently by different countries, by low, low and middle income countries versus high income countries? 
it's received very well actually because obviously what we want is for the solution to benefit everyone and this is what agriculture has to offer so what we spelled out in the strategy is how we're going to promote this at the global level you know the support the advocacy mm-hmm. we want to make at the international level then at the country and regional level the support to the countries and other stakeholders at the national level and then the third layer is actually to support farmers themselves and mm-hmm. farming communities mm-hmm. so this is what we mean by by solutions across the board but obviously we recognize that there are differences in circumstances in capabilities in environment between regions between countries you know between yeah. farming communities um, and we want to give priority to smallholder farmers as well Thank you for that. I, I wanted to talk about some of the guiding principles for the solution, one of which is to adopt a no one size fits all approach. Can you talk a bit about that? Can you talk a bit about how implementing this strategy might look different in one country in one region versus a, another country in a very in a different region? Yeah, I think the, the strategy and, and, and the support we want to provide to countries, it has to be aligned with what countries need, with what farmers actually need. So that's why there are differences, obviously, between regions, between countries. And what we mean in the strategy, there is no, we're not going to say, here is our approach to addressing climate change and ensuring food security, which we want to apply across the board. That will not work. We want to recognize the differences. And in fact, in the strategy, we went through a series of dialogues and consultations with the countries, and we got input from outside that enabled us actually to to recognize the fact that there are differences. I mean, this is the reality. And then we have to look at different regions differently. There are similarities, but, you know, the the needs and the circumstances are not the same everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to underline that. Even at a country level, there are different types of farming. There are different communities, Mm -hmm. you know, smallholders, Mid, middle size enterprise and then big mm-hmm. farmers. So we have to, to consider that as well. Okay. This strategy, it, it's a 10 year strategy from 2022 to 2031. Oftentimes strategies like this can be endorsed and in some cases they can be referenced for the life of the strategy. In other cases, they can be forgotten as other strategies are adopted or as global events might occur. So what will the FAO do to make sure that this strategy remains relevant for the next decade? Yeah, well, th- that's an important question because the strategy, in a sense, is the starting point. This is, this is where we are now. And what we're de- developing in addition to the strategy is an action plan mm-hmm. of how we translate those principles into actually activities and actions on the ground with the key players out there. And that action plan is going to be a live document. We have obviously to take on board new development, you know, something that happens from time to time. So we're not going to have a a static key of activities Mm -hmm. for the next 10 years and say, that's it, that's what we're going to do. No, Mm -hmm. and the action plan has to be flexible enough. I mean, like, you know, two, three years ago, we didn't know we're going to have the pandemic. Now we know that the frequency of extreme weather events is is increasing. So that's another dimension. Mm -hmm. Again, we're going to see more and more of that. So how do we provide support so that actually we build resilience? This is really the key thing Mm -hmm. if we want to secure food security. 10 years from now, looking back, what would constitute success? What will success look like for this strategy and for the associated action plan? 
Well, obviously, before that, even eight years from now, you know, really the ultimate goal is to defeat hunger. You know, we have 828 million people who go hungry every day. And on the other side, in terms of contrast, we have around 2 billion people who are obese or overweight. So you can see there is a lot to fix. So success for us is actually to to make sure that food is available to to everyone but affordable for everyone mm-hmm. and that we have agri-food systems that are producing enough food and nutritious food for everyone around the world and at the same time being kind to the environment to natural resources biodiversity and ecosystems this is success for us mm-hmm. and this is what we want to do through the strategy through the three pillars that I mentioned, the global, national, and farmer level Mm -hmm. to help achieve that. Let's take a look at some specific sectors. When we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, often what comes to mind is the livestock sector. We know that that's a major source of global methane emissions, for example, but let's let's put that aside for the moment Mm -hmm. and start to talk about food loss and waste, actually which is a major source of both carbon dioxide and methane emissions. Can, can you speak a little bit about that and how that's considered in the strategy? Yes, food loss and waste is a big problem and yet is really an important solution as well. It's like low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, we just need enough awareness for people actually to stop throwing food away, basically. Mm-hmm. So as you said, food loss and waste contributes around 8 of global greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. So it's not something to underestimate. Mm-hmm. We need to tackle that. It's a really big problem. So it, it, it is an important aspect of the strategy. It's an important work of, of FAO. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we want to work on more and more. But we need you know, the key players in this, you know, the producers, the retailers and consumers to realize that we're still throwing away the third of the food that we produce for, for human consumption. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, so we throw a third of the food away. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, we throw away the energy, the water, the nutrients, everything that went into producing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we have 828 million people who go hungry every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a really big issue for the loss and waste for multiple reasons, as I said. And what we want to do is really stop throwing food away Mm -hmm. and explain to people that it doesn't make sense to Mm -hmm. throw perfectly valid food away while there are millions of people who go hungry every day. Sure. What needs to happen for consumers to change their behavior? Well, consumers really need to start to value food. Because when you value something, you don't throw it away. You know, we don't throw our mobile phones away or something that we care about. Yeah, and food, it should be about something that you enjoy. You know, when mm-hmm. we go out and eat in restaurants, we eat in the families, you see, you enjoy that mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to rethink. We need to change our mindset, basically, on how mm-hmm. we view food. At the moment, I think we take it for advantage that food is available to us. At multiple choices, you know, you go to the supermarket, any, almost any product you want to buy, you find a multitude of choice. You know, you want to buy bread, for instance, you go to the supermarket, it's it's, it's a huge choice of bread offered to the consumer. And still we throw a lot of of it away. So what consumers, we, we need to do is actually 
start to to think about food differently so we can value it mm -hmm. so we can take responsibility on how we do our shopping how we consume food how we share it mm -hmm. and think about the 828 million people who who go hungry and think about the impact that's having on the planet and the impacts on our health because when we don't eat nutritious food mm -hmm. of course it affects our health yeah and on our pocketbooks absolutely <laughs> absolutely exactly the united states environmental protection agency the epa estimates that the carbon dioxide emissions from food lost and wasted in the united states every year is equivalent to the carbon dioxide emitted from 42 coal-fired power plants in the united states Again, that's on an annual basis. And also in the United States, food is the most common item thrown into landfills. And of course, when food, food decomposes there, it creates methane. This is in the U.S. context, a major source of our greenhouse gas emissions. But Zitouni, we were talking about how your home country is Morocco, a country that I've lived in myself. What does the challenge look like there? Well, the challenge there really is the cost of food mm -hmm. now. Agriculture is important in, in Morocco. Mm -hmm. Obviously, culturally in Morocco, people like food, you know. But increasingly now, after the pandemic and now the war in Ukraine, there is definitely an issue of affordability, mm -hmm. availability of food. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's worrying because most families spend a high percentage of their income on, on food. Mm -hmm. So obviously, when you, you see that prices are going up and, and, and people say that, you know, I was there about three weeks ago mm -hmm. and people notice the difference. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the problem is that, you know, the, the worst is, is to come really if the situation continues like this. And this is also part of everyone rethinking, mm -hmm. you know, how do we use natural resources around us? Not just food, it's water is energy, you know, electricity. And I think coming back to your good point on, on consumers, we use things because they're available. That's the attitude, but we don't think about, well, how does my choice affect the planet? Mm -hmm. And how my, uh, my choice affects my health mm -hmm. and people around me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I take two showers a day, you know, is, is that reasonable? You know, what, what impact does it have? Where, where does water come from? Mm -hmm. Is it sustainable? Yeah, electricity is the same. You know, why do I have lights on in all the rooms and I'm not actually using them? Sure. Th these are really important things for all of us to think about. And, and every little helps. Just add this important point because the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, all scientists from around the world, they say that every fraction of degree matters. And it's true because we want to stay below 1.5 degrees C to avoid the danger of climate change. Mm -hmm. We're already out 1.1, 1.2. And you can see what's happening around us already. Mm -hmm. The drought in Europe this year, the floods in Pakistan, in Afghanistan and, and other parts of the world. I mean, the US has been affected by drought as well. And IPCC says that these things will continue, will in intensify in frequency and in impact. Mm -hmm. So it's really big wake up call. So every fraction matters of a degree matters. Therefore, every fraction of the action we take matters. Mm -hmm. So that's why we should, you know, it's, it's a really a combination of effort that we need to take. Because sometimes we think, well, well what difference is it going to make to do this little thing? It does matter. Yeah. You yeah. Know, if millions and billions of people around the world do that, it will make a difference. Certainly, certainly. Uh, let's return for one moment to, to the topic of food loss and waste. Mm -hmm. What does food loss and waste look like in Morocco, just to contrast with what we see in the United States? Well, I can tell you that there is much less food waste in Morocco. 
because culturally we don't throw food away. You know, we, we eat a meal. Mm-hmm. If there is any leftover, it's safe. Saves for the following day, for the evening. When I was little, actually, when food really, you know, goes off like during the summer, you know, you give it to the dog or, you know, yeah, you don't throw it away. And in fact, you know, one classic example is, you know, in Morocco, we consume a lot of bread. Mm-hmm. It's cultural. Yeah. When bread is, is solid, we use lentils, you know, with water is really nice and yummy. And then we pour that over the bread that is hard so instead mm-hmm. of throwing it away. Yeah. And it absorbs that, you know, mm-hmm. yummy juice mm-hmm. and it becomes a really nice meal to eat. Yeah. And when you can't do that, all that bread is collected and given to feed animals, as animal feed. So is less definitely waste. I think the loss is an issue in Africa and developing countries in Sorry. general because of the lack of capacity to store food. You know, if you're a smallholder farmers and you, you have your, your harvest, say tomatoes, for instance, and you don't have refrigeration. Mm-hmm. So there is a limit how much you can keep them for. And if the market is far away, you have no control over that. If yeah. your tomatoes go off, then again, you have to do something about it. But think, innovate. People are creative and they try not to throw things away because you can't. And this is, I think, the key thing about food loss and waste Mm -hmm. is when you realize the value of the food you have, Mm -hmm. you won't throw it away. You become creative what you can do with it. Certainly. And there are some chefs actually who have really creative ideas what you can do with food instead of throwing it mm-hmm, away. Mm-hmm. So people can, you know, can can be imaginative and creative to do that. I fully agree. I also think that improvements in infrastructure can go a long way in reducing food loss. Um, my own experience in, in Morocco reflects exactly what you're talking about, where it's far less food waste that you see, but food loss, I do recall seeing huge shipments of certain products I'd like to turn to other sectors. We don't often hear about the rice sector as a major source of methane emissions. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, when we think about climate change and and greenhouse gas emissions, people think about carbon dioxide. That's what we're Mm -hmm. familiar with. But methane is much more powerful than CO2, than Mm -hmm. carbon dioxide. It's it's short-lived, but its impact is much higher. And agriculture... In including you know, rice production mm-hmm. is responsible for an important amount of methane and nitrous oxides mm-hmm. emissions okay. from the use of fertilizers as well. At COP26 last year, there was the, the global methane pledge that mm-hmm. was made with the, the US and, and the, the European Union mm-hmm. to tackle this problem of methane. Mm-hmm. And again, this is another example of solutions Mm -hmm. from agriculture, Mm -hmm. another example of low-hanging fruit and the potential for efficiency and money saving and the use of innovation in in the dairy sector, for instance, because methane in rice, but also methane Mm -hmm. in in dairy. Sure. I do want to turn to COP26 and COP27 in a moment, Mm -hmm. but what might reducing methane and nitrous oxide emissions from rice and livestock, what might that look like in practice? What it looks like in in practice is looking at the practices that are using now that produce the methane and see how we can change that to to move into climate smart practices Mm -hmm. that reduce methane. Mm -hmm. So methane, for instance coming from livestock. So there has been a lot of research on 
animal feed that can actually allow the reduction of methane, for example, use of seaweed or mm-hmm. other kind of protein. There is a lot of innovation going mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But that's good. It's encouraging to try to look at, at solutions that can actually allow that reduction of methane, mm-hmm. for example, the capture of, of methane in a on-farm. Mm-hmm. And here again, in terms of solution, you can imagine if you have a technology that allows you to capture methane mm-hmm. and use that as a source of energy to heat farm mm-hmm. premises. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of innovation that, that can be done. So at sure. the same time, you're reducing emissions, yeah. but achieving other benefits and saving money. So this is what it would look like, is looking at practices that will allow us to harness the power of, of innovation and reduce methane emissions. Sure, sure. Let's turn to COP27 this year. You mentioned mm-hmm. that the Global Methane Pledge was signed at COP26 last year, despite the fact that agriculture was not an explicit focus of last year's COP. We understand that it will be an explicit focus of COP this year, COP27. Tell us a little bit about what you expect from this year's COP. Well, this year's COP comes at a time where, you know, the world is living through these crises, climate change, obviously, with biodiversity loss and also the pandemic and the war in Ukraine, and they're all affecting food security. Mm-hmm. So that's why the COP is going to put a mm-hmm. big emphasis, the COP and the Egyptian presidency, mm-hmm. they're going to okay. put a big emphasis on agriculture and food security. In fact, uh, during the COP for the first week on the 7th and the 8th of November, there will be a world leader summit. And on the 8th, there will be specific round table on food security to reflect the current concerns and worry about food security around the world and the trend that we're seeing now in terms of increased food prices and availability and mm-hmm. prices of energy, you know, prices of fertilizers. So this COP comes at this time where actually everyone wants to talk about food security and what we need to, to do to, to address it. Mm-hmm. And, and for us, FAO is an important agenda, obviously, because it's under our mandate. We have a lot to, to offer in terms of the technical and, and policy support. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a, a, an opportunity for us to bring in the FAO's new strategy on climate change. Mm-hmm. And by the way, So we want the two to be promoted at the COP. We also have a a new strategy of how we engage better with the private sector. So these all need to be connected, obviously, in addressing food security. So COP is is a big opportunity for us to to give space, Mm -hmm. to convene, to talk about food-related issues. And again, here, with a big focus on solutions. Because we know what we need to do. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about challenges and problems really anymore because we know what they are. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is, how do we scale up what works mm-hmm. everywhere? Coming back to your point on the strategy so that anyone, everyone can benefit mm-hmm. from, from this. Because this, this is the thing really about climate change and the sustainable development goals that we're facing. You know, our system is one. You know, we have one planet. And we've seen now that what happens in one area affects the rest of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. drought, floods, war, pandemic, and there's a big lesson to take from this. So for us to tackle food security is global food security, because there are consequences if you don't have uh, global food security. 
at least you have migration, for instance. This is mm-hmm. a big issue. You can't stop people who are hungry to move from one area to, to another. And we've seen in areas where people are affected by floods and, and by drought, mm-hmm. you know, people's livelihoods is, is being affected. So global f- food security is critical. And it's linked now to the, the increase in energy, the increase in resources like fertilizers for instance so it's 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 interconnected an interconnected issue climate change so it's not you can't just look at it in in isolation so even though cop 27 is related to climate change Mm -hmm. it has now many consequences including our livelihood and it affects people's lives that's the key things we've seen food security at the top of global political agendas this year, due in large part to the effects of Russia's war in Ukraine on global food security. Major focus at the G7 summit this year. It will be a, a major focus at UNGA this year. Our conversation is taking place at the outset of UNGA High Level Week. And also, of course, at COP27, as you mentioned. Coming from COP27, what would success look like to you? Well, there the, are the various issues that need to be addressed at COP27. Obviously, you know, the, the main blocks around negotiations are mitigation, adaptation, finance, and technology. So these are the four main dimensions. So success for us at, at COP27 is the recognition of the importance of agriculture and agri-food systems in general in addressing climate change and the solutions I mentioned earlier that agriculture has to offer. And for countries to to realize that they need to make that really an important part of their strategies in addressing climate change Mm -hmm. and the biodiversity loss. Mm -hmm. So it's to realize that actually without the foundation, which is healthy ecosystems and healthy soil, you can't have healthy production, healthy nutrition, and a better life for everyone. So success for us is to to realize that so that when we go into COP28, or before that, so we have agriculture and food security, an important part of the strategy going forward. And there are other aspects, obviously, for the COP itself, is the, the access to finance, particularly for developing countries, is the, the issue of loss and damage that we've been seeing now more and more. These are all under discussion in, in the negotiations. But I think overall, I would say the, the big success, perhaps, is just to have that political will that can make things happen faster after that because we can see how the political will combined with with investment and the willingness of of young people can actually make things happen on the ground and that's what we need more and more of Mm -hmm. because as i said we know what the issues are we know we're running out of time Mm -hmm. we need to address climate change urgently and this year in particular all these extreme events that happened around the world there need to be realization that, you know, we really need to work on this together. What the IPCC says is that climate change is affecting every part of the world now. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, clear message to, to work on this to, together. So the political will is, is important. Investment in innovation, investment in adaptation. These commitments actually going forward um, would be really very good. For COP28, and just mm-hmm. if I may make mm-hmm. a link, 
Remind us where COP28 will take place? In United Arab Emirates. That's right. And this year, it's in Egypt next year. That's next right. Next year in UAE. That's right. And, um, and here, I just want to mention the uh, Agricultural Innovation Mission for Climate, sure. the AIM4C, which was promoted in COP26 by the US and UAE. And it's focusing on innovation for agriculture. So you can see it, it, it would pave the way nicely from COP27 to COP28 to get some practical actions on the ground, including reduction of methane that you mentioned and other areas that we want to tackle. So basically, just to sum up, solutions for me at COP27 is to move from these pledges and commitments mm -hmm. into solutions, because this is what people expect. Certainly. is to see actually solutions happening around the world. Certainly. And with agriculture and agri-food systems being so affected by climate change and also being responsible for about a third of greenhouse gas emissions, we hope that this remains a major focus of COPS going forward. Among our listenership, what if someone asks, they think this is such a big problem, the food that I eat is helping to contribute to climate change, I want to you know, I, I help somehow. What are a few things that our listeners can do when it comes to addressing this problem? Well, stop throwing food away. That's the first thing. Take responsibility. Just rethink about our choices because our choices matter. Mm -hmm. They matter a lot. Anything we choose to do has an impact. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, to rethink that. So think about you know, how you do your shopping, what, what you eat, and stop throwing it away. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing to do. Mm -hmm. There are also other gestures that, that we need to do I'll give you another example, uh, plastic straws, for instance. Mm -hmm. Why do we need plastic straws to drink? You can enjoy a drink with that plastic mm -hmm. straw. Because you use plastic straw for you know, a minute or two for that pleasure, and then you throw it away. And the consequences that has, particularly in the marine environment for you know, fish and shellfish and, and other creatures, you know, it's, it's very polluting. So that's an, another thing. The use of water, again, the same. Well, thank you very much. Perhaps we can have you back on the show to, to reflect on successes achieved at COP and achieved through the FAO strategy on climate change. And Zutuni, as I mentioned, I lived in Morocco and it's your home country. I'd like to say, shukran bzef. <laughs> thank you. Thank okay. you for having me. It would be a pleasure to come after COP27 and share with you the success and the outcome. Looking forward to that. Thank you. Inshallah. Shukran. <laughs> That's it for today's episode of Reset the Table. You can subscribe on Apple or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at CSIS Food. Until next time.